Hi there, it's Charles coming to you from the post-production future with a little bit of context before we start the episode. We recorded it about a week and a half before the episode went live, which meant that it was about a week before Sony announced that the KOTOR remake was a thing that was actually happening. Bradley and I are going to discuss it on the show. We're going to discuss it at the next recording session we're going to have, which is tomorrow, and should be Mando episode 2 that's going to air next week. But I wanted to jump in really fast to say that we are going to mention KOTOR a lot. At the time we recorded this, we did not know that a KOTOR remake was actually coming. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and may the Force be with you. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers. And I'm Clayton Finlayson. Clayton, welcome back. You are now our longest running guest. How does it feel? I like 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 being a regular. I know, I feel like um, like Michelle or or Ross. (laughs) Oh yeah, you kind of are. You are now kind of the Michelle or Ross of the show. Oh yay. (laughs) I don't have big tits. Well, she had them reduced, so no. I don't know what any of this means, by the way. I, I uh, have uh, no Ru- idea Ru- what Ru- these... Uh, RuPaul, like Michelle Visage and Ross Matthews oh. or RuPaul's Drag Race, yeah. <laughs> I know who Mich- Michelle Visage is. I don't, I don't know why I didn't make the connection. That's who y'all were talking about. From the 10 minutes of Drag Race that I've ever seen. <laughs> what? But, oh my God. I'm a terrible gay man. Clayton, what, what have you been up to since we last had you on the show? It's It's been a, a little bit. I remember last time you were out in Palm Springs uh, doing some shows. Yeah, no, I, I was well, I was supposed to do shows out there. And then, like, both of my gigs got canceled because of the heat. Because we had, like, the heat wave go through in California. I think you're probably, you're, you're, you're over there, so you know. Like, oh, yeah, I know. Ass hot, and it got ass hot in June. And so the venues closed their shows because you had to do them outdoors still. They weren't letting you do the indoor shows because of COVID. Um, so they canceled both my booking shows. So I didn't really get a chance to perform. So Sabrina Williams out there is going to have me back, you know, at some point. You know, I may try and do a show this Labor Day weekend, but I doubt it. Like, I don't, I don't really want to do again. So. <laughs> Anything happening uh, right around now? I know that Dragnificent, the, the show that, I guess, you won the year that I was, like, in your pit crew. Yes, Charles was one of the masterminds on my team. that We called uh, ourselves Team Hydra, um, since that's my drag name. Um, and Charles was pretty, we called him the glue that stuck everyone together because the rest of the team would just fight and bicker like all the time and charles charles would always have to come in and be like whoa whoa like chill the heck put the knife down <laughs> like, like so charles is always the 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 glue and if he had left i think we probably would have killed each other and i would not, i would not have won that competition so backstage at a backstage at a drag show those knives come out like that's yes. what the people don't understand and when the cameras are off the knives are even worse yeah backstage like was always contentious sometimes at ryan's house when we would do our design meetings and like putting things together it was also pretty heated like in the in the the sweatshop of the basement like where we created everything like yeah that was just that was a rough time but i definitely credit charles for 
my part of part of partly a big part Charles being on the team for my victory because I would have gotten insane. So and I still did, but I still See, I, managed to get across the finish line. I was intending uh, for Clayton to plug Dragnificent a little bit, which is running, and not plug me, but. That is, a, that is a nice. <laughs> well, I, well, I of course I have to compliment a review, but I will plug Dragnificent. It is a it's a weekly show happening now in Atlanta. Starts at nine o'clock at Future Atlanta. Um, it's hosted, run, created by Phoenix. Um, pretty much runs Atlanta. Um, Tasha Thomas is also on the judges panel, and they also have a weekly new ju- judge every week. This week was Lala Ree from RuPaul's Drag Race, and they just did the Broadway challenge. Um, and next week they do Celebrity Illusion, which was the first challenge that I won on my season. And, and Charles, you were there for that because we have a picture. There's a picture of us together as you and me as Pink. Um, yep. And I recreated uh, Glitter in the Air, um, the Grammy performance that Pink did um, on the Silks. And uh, pretty much everyone lost their minds and I won that night. So it'll be fun to see what people do uh, next week. And I remember, I remember that was a big, both the Broadway for you and the pink one, because you did bring on the men from Jekyll and Mm -hmm. Hyde. Yeah, and I lost and Wicked Wicked beat me like no good deed. And (laughs) which I'm still kind of butthurt about, but whatever, I'll I'll carry that badge to my grave. Funny enough, the same number that beat me won last night at the Broadway challenge. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there and everyone's looking at me like laughing. And I'm like, shut up. Like, so we, we know the mishaps that happened as to why I lost that night. And we won't oh, talk yes. about that. So. <laughs> yes. If you're in the Atlanta area, definitely. And you can be safe about it. Definitely trek Dragnificent out. Um, I, love, we'll I loved the show. And Clayton will be there. You can say hello and, and buy him a drink. But unfortunately, they do or not free. have a... <laughs> maybe maybe you need it after appearing on this podcast. Uh, uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> they don't have a Star Wars category. So we have to move uh, on. They should uh, make one. I'm going ma- to tell you to do one. <laughs> they should. I would fly back to Atlanta just to watch that. Oh my god! Yeah. To god. I'll make my own. I'll, I'll make my own competition, and there will be a mandatory Star Wars category. So. Excellent. We are going to be starting our deep dive into Mandalorian season two, filling the gap here between Bad Batch and uh, Book of Boba Fett. Uh, Bradley is going to take the lead on this one because I did the summaries for Bad Batch, and I'm tired, and I need a drink. Let's just let's just dive into it. It there's a lot to talk about in this episode. Yep. All right. Um, so season two, episode one, The Marshal. Uh, the Mandalorian is drawn to the outer rim in search of others of his kind so that he may return the child to the Jedi. Instead, he finds a sexy marshal on Tatooine wearing a familiar looking armor. The sexy marshal agrees to give the armor back to its people in exchange for help killing a great dragon. Having killed the beast, he leaves with the armor, uh, the Mandalorian leaves with the armor uh, as he's being watched by an old scarred man off in the distance. Uh, Clayton, one thing you liked about the episode and one thing you did not like about the episode. One thing I liked about the episode, the thing I liked the most was the the involvement of the sand people, I think. Because you got to see a completely new perspective of 
the sand people and but like the Tuscan Raiders and who they are as a people and like that how they communicate exactly. And the fact that Mando knew how to communicate with them using like deep sign language and their dialect, what I thought was probably the coolest thing to me. I, I value that a lot because, and it really like put, makes you think about their involvement in the whole rest of the Star Wars saga. And like, it, it, it puts them in a different light. So I really liked their integration in this and their involvement and it, a positive spin on them, I guess. So I liked that a lot. Um, one thing I did not like. Uh, this is hard. This yeah, is a I know, hard because one to I, do. I, I really like the episode. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be nitpicky and be kind of a purist on, like how they did their interpretation of the crate dragon. Like because I am a purist in terms of like you know the crate dragon was basically it came out of the old republic, the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic universe, like. And so they basically took that and centered the episode around it. And I don't know, I feel like they took some liberties, like, you know, that I'm not so sure about. I wouldn't say I don't like it. I'm just uncomfortable and I'm trying to get used to it. So, I have but we'll, we'll, but, but, we'll, but, but we'll talk about that. I have some trivia. We'll see if you still feel the same way at the end of the episode. Okay, good. <laughs> Charles, what's uh, one thing you liked and one thing you did not like? Oh, Lord. One thing I liked and one thing I did not like. Uh, so I, I actually have my note here. I just want to bring this up. My very first note is this show. God, this show is so fucking good. Like, I forgot <laughs> how good this show is. If I had to narrow down specifically one thing I liked. So I'm, I'm going to dive into it because there's going to be a section um, where they do some flashbacks. And we're going to talk a little bit about the relationship between this episode and the Aftermath trilogy. I really loved how this was one of the first times that we brought something from a book into live action in a really tangible way. It kind of echoed for me when Saw Gerrera was brought from animation into live action. And then again, Maul being brought from animation back into live action. I just love Cobb Vance's whole story. We'll talk about kind of what it was like in that what it, versus what it was like in the show because it's not quite exactly the same, but I loved that it was, they went to that source material. And especially considering sort of how easy it might've been given the out of universe stuff that happened surrounding the Aftermath trilogy for them to overlook it. But the fact that they went back and did it, I thought was really cool. One thing I disliked, I do like overall how the tension between the settlers and the sand people, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't give it too much attention versus the main plot of Kill the Crate Dragon. But I felt it lacked a really tangible payoff. Like it's missing maybe one little beat that would have that payoff in the final battle. And like Clayton, this is super nitpicky. But that would be the only thing about this episode maybe that I would change. Would be maybe adding one more little beat where maybe it seems like the settlers and the sand people aren't completely gonna, are gonna fall apart at the last minute. And then they come together and it's like a super quick moment and but it just it doesn't happen. Uh, they get that kind of fades away 
off screen. What about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you disliked. Um, so I'm gonna be difficult and say that my like and my are. dislike were exactly the same. Oh, Jesus. Um, so one thing I liked about the episode was that there were really fun little Easter eggs all throughout the episode for people who like, you know, Star Wars to kind of look at and gawk at and be like, oh, there's that thing, there's that thing. Um, one thing I did not like about the episode was that there were so many fucking Easter eggs in this goddamn episode that after the first three, I want to say, I was like, all right, you guys need to fucking chill. Like, we get it. It's Star Wars. And yes, that thing was in the prequels. That's fun. But like, again, like another one, another, like, you know, I felt like it kind of was just like kind of the last Tatooine episode. It was very much like, how many Easter eggs can we fit in a Tatooine episode? Like, I feel like that's like the rule of thumb now on this show. <laughs> and they didn't even stick to, like, you wouldn't even get half of them because you can't read. Like, half of them are from, like, the Aftermath books and the Dr. Afra comics. And, like, if even you thought there was too many references. Hmm. That's pretty sad because if I only understand half of them, that means there's another half I don't understand that are in there. Don't worry, I got them all. We start off the episode with Mando and the child visiting underground Atlanta uh, to enjoy some secret fight club. Um, we, we meet a local Abyssian uh, Gorkesh who tries to steal Mando's armor, but after some heavy negotiations, gives up the location of a mysterious Mandalorian. What did you guys think of this first part? Uh, I liked how the child got to be an actual character and emotive and react to things this time. Like, yeah, they, they they cheated it in the trailer, but we kind of get it in this same little part when he's fighting the guards um, that, you know, we get that little comedy bit of the child kind of hiding in his little container thing. Um, yeah, it just gives him more to do. Yeah, and I definitely like, yeah, because they made they made him more of a centerpiece, not just because he's cute, but they gave him more of a personality of like, oh shit, like dad's about to kill these dudes, I better hide. So like, it, it helps give it really subtle com- comic relief amid like, you know, a real brutal fight scene. Like it's clearly very obvious that uh, some time has passed between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. And they've, they've figured out between them how these things go. Like Baby Yoda knew immediately, okay, Whistling birds are about to come out. Uh, shut the thing now. I thought it was a neat twist that um, it's Mando that the guy is trying to trap and not Baby Yoda. That the guy wants his Beskar armor. That right. Baby Yoda doesn't factor into it at all. Right, because he just said, there was yeah. a part where he said something along the lines of like, uh, oh, is that your, um, he's, he's like, you He's like, oh, I knew you would bring that thing or that kid or that pet or whatever. And he was like, yeah, where he goes, I go. And he's like, I heard that. And then you yeah. think like, oh, shoot, he's going to try to steal the child from him. But then he's more like, so speaking of your clothes, um, I really like that outfit you got on. <laughs> Take your clothes well, off. It really is fucking... <laughs> down horrible places in the back rooms of atlanta good god no now leave us alone my god i will underground underground's on its way back up i mean i really hope they build it like i think it has huge potential they just have to do it right um but anyway um 
so I, I guess, so I, one thing that kind of puzzled me about the, the, the first scene is the Gamorians because they're mm-hmm. skinny. Like, did, did, that, did, that, did that bother no one else? Like, because I was like, are they some different class of Gamorians? Like, because they're like fighters, like, you know, in the ring or whatever. Because all the Gamorians I've seen, especially from like, uh, like the ga- all the games, like the Knights of the Old Republic and from like Return of the Jedi, like Jabba's Palace, like they're all fat. Like, so I, I was just like puzzled that these were like kind of like skinny, more built like Gamorians because I've never seen it. I don't know if that bothered either of you. I will put out for uh, the show the same thing I told you when you told me this, because uh, I think it was you and I that had this conversation. I was wondering if like maybe the ones that are at Jabba's palace aren't used to actually having to do anything. They're just there to look intimidating. So they've gotten like fat and lazy because all they have to do is show up and grunt for a bit. And then Jabba drops people down into the rancor and the rancor does all the real work. But these ones have to actually fight. Like maybe that's what's going on here. That makes sure. sense. I mean, because I mean, if we're going on basic physi- physiology, you know, and like, you know, if you're more active and swinging an axe around, um, which was another cool thing. Uh, but well, like, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'd be more thin and fit if they were fighting all the time. But their axes, like, I guess I don't. I guess they're not typical Gamorrean war axes. Like, they're um, so they're vibro axes. Uh, I okay. believe they're so like, the same axes that they were using in Return of the Jedi. They're just turned on in Mandalore. Oh, okay. So I've never they seen like that effect. So even the like the vibro swords, um, or yeah, the vibro swords um, in the games, like don't you don't even have that effect, I guess. So that, that was a neat effect that you know mm-hmm. actually like, they implemented. Like it was, saw a small the knife deta- and- it was a small detail. Yeah, we saw the knife in season one that'll use the vibro knife. Right. And he uses it here too when he fights. Yeah, when he fights um, some of the thugs that he, or the goons um, that he fights, one of them actually, fun fact, is a a Zabrak or whatever, a Darth Maul species um, that he stabs with the knife (laughs) and kills. Yeah, it's it's interesting because vibro swords are kind of like in Kotor, they're that shitty sword that you get right at the very beginning that you have to use before Literally. you can get a lightsaber, and then you will use uh-huh. that for the rest of the game. And here <laughs> like, it's demonstrated it makes- that no, they're actually like good weapons. Hmm. Yeah, but they did not showcase them in Kotor, like so, like or with that much effect. But I don't know. That was a game made like forever ago, so maybe that's why. It's like mid early to mid 2000s i think was when it came out because it, we'll it was after have, it was after episode one i know that we'll just have to have dave filoni and john trevorrow do the remakes of new couture games so. <laughs> i have i have heard rumors but we won't address them i, I have to and i'll i'll scream for joy if they make a couture three you guys want to hear some references in this scene yes absolutely let me tell you the ones I have, and then Bradley, you can tell me any that you miss that okay. uh, I missed. I only have one reference that I wrote down, so there okay. you go. <laughs> I have four. <laughs> oh God! Okay. Uh, the flags hanging from the ceiling—not a direct reference in show, but they are evocative of Maz Kanata's castle on Takadana. Okay. 
Number two, uh, speaking of The Force Awakens, we actually see Constable Zuvo, uh, who famously got a promotional photo and an action figure for The Force Awakens and then wasn't in the finished film. <laughs> so we finally, finally get him. Uh, Moss Pelgo that he mentions. Now, it's, it's crucial to the plot, but if you'd read Aftermath or you were familiar with Af- Aftermath, Moss Pelgo, you immediately perked up at because you went, isn't that where the guy with Boba Fett's armor is? And finally, and this one's a super deep cut, uh, he mentions swearing by the Gatra. The only Gatra that exists in canon is the droid Gatra. It's basically a droid revolution crime syndicate type thing. Okay. It's tangentially involved in the novel Tarkin, which I just finished reading last week. Uh, But it's tangentially involved in the plot of that. Uh, But more importantly, the droid Gatra were Dr. Aphra's previous employer before she uh, came into the service of Darth Vader. They were the ones that sent her to do the things that kick off the plot of basically all of the comics. God, the people who make this show are nerds. <laughs> nerds. Uh, that's funny. That's this actually is not, not even addressing the wall of graffiti that has. We do not have time to get into. I didn't even bother. I I look. That was part of it, and I I didn't even bother putting it on there because I was like, there's too much stuff. I I I, I should have probably at least looked up the artist who did it because it's a very. Um, prolific graffiti artist who did it but i don't know his name so i'm sorry they did a feature on him i think yeah like, or they if you watch behind this the 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 Mandalorian delorean or whatever they did a feature on him and and mm-hmm. how they implemented graffiti and like he's really great right yeah so yeah, yeah. really cool stuff um uh i one more thing i have for this little section we should obviously talk about the new character that briefly makes his appearance and then proceeds to be eaten alive by the end of the mm. scene. Um, his name is Gorkesh. He's an Abyssian race, which is the Cyclops um, that we see in A New Hope. Um, voiced by John... Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this. Leguizamo? You did not butcher it. You got it right. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. John Leguizamo, um, which... For gay reasons, I'm only going to mention this one film that he was in, which is called Tu Wong Fu. Oh, shit! <laughs> oh, fuck! I didn't even... Oh, my he, God! He plays Chi-Chi Rodriguez uh, in Tu Wong Fu. He plays Chi-Chi? Mm-hmm. Oh, my, oh God. my God. My gay heart. Oh, my goodness. Which he if was nominated for Golden I'm going to have to go back Globe. and watch it. If you're listening well, yeah, to the that's... show... And you're under the age of uh, 25. Uh, Tu Wong Fu is a classic, classic gay movie. Please go watch it. It is good. (laughs) It actually. I hate that I'm above that. Like, I hate that I'm above that. Like, minimum age range. Like now, I'm like, oh, I'm still, I'm still in the youngin crowd, and I'm sitting here at 28, and you said 25. I'm like, oh, goddamn it. (laughs) I, I specifically lowered the bar beneath where I know all of us are because I know we all know what that movie is. Right. But I just thought it was funny because obviously, so he plays a drag queen in that movie and, you know, I just thought it was worth mentioning that not only, well, so now 
Um, I didn't see anywhere that he actually physically played the role. He only voiced the role. Um, I think it's actually a puppeteer underneath that costume. I don't know who, um, but from what I could gather, he only did the voice. But still, it's funny that he's in this. He's also has a quote unquote gay connection. Um, so there you go. These are important things to bring up on the show. <laughs> Just, you know, There's... I mean, I thought it was important. There's so few gays in the franchise right now that aren't right. space fascists yeah. that we have to point out any gay connection we can. Exactly. The only other note that I had was uh, the the Gamorrean in the background when they all pull out the guns and the Gamorrean like picks up the axe and is running around like confused trying to figure out what's going on. That's hilarious. Well, I also like this, the tiny little plot detail of um, he, uh, Gorkesh or whatever he goes. Yeah, he goes, oh, my guy's not doing so hot in the fight right now. I just bet on him. And he's like, and then he proceeds to cheat by shooting the other guy in the chest and stopping the fight so that his guy could quote unquote win. I just thought it was funny that that guy was like so confused. He was like, oh, what just happened? (laughs) I loved it. Next up, Mando heads back to your favorite ball of dust, Tatooine, where he parks his ship with Space Amy Sedaris, a.k.a. Pelimoto. She tells him where to find the town of Moss Pelico. Yeah, so Pelimoto's back. Uh, finally. We love this. I love her we so love much. This. Um, fun fact, you know, I the second time around watching this scene, I was noticing she was like, you know, she's like generally like working or whatever in her little workshop. And I didn't think anything of it the first time. But the second time around, it looks like she's working on a pod racer engine. Really? Yeah. So go back and look at it. It looks like a big pod race engine. And I'm thinking like, huh, I wonder if she's involved in pod racing somehow. Because I guess there might be some kind of pod racing well, element still going around. Well, it's interesting because on the map, you can actually see this, this episode actually establishes mm-hmm. Moss Espa and Moss Isley are pretty close together right. on the map. So it, it wouldn't be beyond stretch of the imagination to think that they regularly have pod races in that giant fucking arena that <laughs> they just have there on this desert planet that can barely afford water, but the huts can build this big pod racing racetrack. Like, okay, Jabba. Okay. Well, and the thing, the thing about that too is like, who's still running the pod racing? Because remember, it was the Boon to Eve Classic was just what we were dealing right. with at the time, which is, uh, I, I believe, now please correct me, uh, it's a hut holiday right yeah this will be the, the one huts. thing this will be the one thing i didn't do research on but i do know that the bunta eve classic is is run by the huts it's run by java and gardula right i i don't know if specifically it's a hut holiday oh okay i just didn't know. i just figured i they were in charge of everything i guess at the time so i guess maybe they're just promoting it or something but um yeah i was like who's running it now because they're all dead as far as we know, so well, we know Bib Fortuna is not running shit, right? <laughs> so it's just it's curious that like why that's happening. Um, Pelly Moto says something really funny. Um, 
when she's she says a lot really shot. funny well she does but the one thing i picked out that she says that i thought was funny was when she said if this thing ever divides or buds i will gladly pay for the offspring <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I see her with her own little child just being like, hey guys, welcome back. She gets some good screen time in this episode. Uh, I like her as a character. So. How much do you think was improv? Probably Ooh. all of it, honestly. It's hard to say because she does a lot of reference heavy like phrases. Like she'll say things like, thank the force and like you know what i mean like i don't know how much of that she's really making up you know what i mean because like i feel like they kind of had to give her a list of stuff in addition to making up stuff it's hard to say maybe they gave her some bullet points yeah probably she strikes me as like one of those lifer star wars people that were just really lucky and to get the role and she's having a time of her life like and milking it for every second it's worth like but she's like i like but the character is believable and it's like it's one of those She's one of those people that kind of stuck around, um, mm. which I like. Like the, the mother, the motherly, you know, witty figure. Uh, I feel like that it wasn't really scripted. It didn't feel scripted to me. They, I feel like, yeah, they probably just gave her bullet points, and she just ran with it. One thing that has not been mentioned yet in our discussion of the scene, but absolutely one hundred percent has to get brought up. Uh, fucking R five is there. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, mean, I wasn't sure if you were going to include that in your little Easter egg. Oh, but, I will. Like, oh, okay, oh, it's not go. an Easter egg. It's okay. right the fuck there. <laughs> it is explicitly in the scene for a good solid thirty seconds. It's like, oh, here he is. Oh, oh yeah. here's the back of his head. Oh, here's the. <laughs> I mean, so much as like the detailing of like you can see the spot on the back of his head where he blew up in the movie, like yeah. the details. I have learned in the intervening time uh, about, because I've read some of the short stories from uh, a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, A New Hope. Uh, I hadn't read that one, mm-hmm. the, the R5 one. Apparently his whole deal was like, he just really badly wanted to be useful to somebody. So I feel bad for him ending up with Peli Moto of all people who just berates <laughs> him all day. Yeah. I'm just like, I feel so bad for you. He basically you is like so much better. He's like a bad Roomba that she's like, ugh, like good help is so hard to find these days. Like, you know, like I just can't. He's so slow. He's like basically he barely works. Like I basically have the oldest He's model doing ever. His best. <laughs> I love it. He could have been melted down for parts, so I think he's fine. That's true. <laughs> Question, though. What does she use him for? Because clearly she uses the pit droids for the most part in what she in her job, I guess. And then he's kind of there, but then, like, when she even... Like, he's sitting in the corner, like, waiting to be called upon, and then, like, she's like, hey, come here and show me the map. <laughs> she's like his cell phone. I have an oh, answer for this. Yeah, I'm probably a map. <laughs> probably interfacing with ship systems. If I had to take a wild guess, uh, possibly doing um, any sort of maintenance or any sort of control, maybe on the garage itself. Mm-hmm. Odd things that she just needs done. Storing maps of Tatooine, for instance, uh, inside his memory right, his bank. Memory bank. 
Not even, There's not even just maps, old maps. Look, we know that the, the <laughs> astromech droids in general are good for a lot of different tasks. Now, I don't think she's using him for his primary function, right. which is the primary function of all astromech droids, which is war crimes. <laughs> Probably not committing any war crimes, which means R5 is not living up to his true potential. Right. But that's okay. Chopper will make up for it. I was just right. He's not Chopper racking up like thousands of deaths. Like, <laughs> um, up next, Mando takes a speeder bike to the old mining town of Mos Pelga. Uh, at the local bar, Mando is confronted by the Marshal wearing Boba Fett's armor. After a drink, a standoff, and the murder of a bantha by a crate dragon, uh, the Marshal tells Mando about the town's problems and convinces him to help get the armor back. I have lots of notes, but I have to jump in real fast before we get into the meat and potatoes of this scene to talk <laughs> about the journey to Mos Pelgo. Did you guys catch the interesting foil to Attack of the Clones? No, Wait, I didn't. Wait, what? Say that again? It's a foil to the same sequence in Attack of the Clones. So right about, they're roughly, they're kind of the same roughly at about the point in the Attack of the Clones ones where Anakin talks to the Jawas, Mando talks to the Sand People. Mm. The Sand People that Anakin murders. So in this version of the same sequence, they put in that bit where he rests and talks to a local, but this time they included the Sand People as oh. those locals. Interesting. Ah, I didn't Maybe make not that a reference, well. but... Yes, it was nice. It wasn't exactly a reference. It was more of like an echo. It's very much like everything in Star Wars echoes each other. It's very like, oh, that kind of looks like that thing that they're doing. But uh, yeah, no, I liked it. The scenes were gorgeous. I mean, all the sand dunes and like him on the bike were pretty as fuck. I actually, uh, I have the bike Lego set. And so I got really excited (laughs) when I was seeing it. It's it's funny. I I meant to bring this note up. Look, I got it for Baby Yoda. There's a little Baby Yoda minifigure. He's behind me right now, sitting on the throne of Mandalore where he belongs. There was a note that I had for the last scene that I I forgot to mention. Uh, I'm going to bring it up here because it it kind of impacts here. And then it it also gets brought up later on in this sequence. Uh, This episode has a lot of references to reasons why Mando can't just use the ship. Because they mention, oh, you can't fly out there because they'll see you coming. And then later with the crate dragons, oh, the crate dragon will hear your vibrations. And I get it. Like, we've got to have the sequence where Baby Yoda is in the wind like a dog with his head stuck out the car window. (laughs) But on the other hand, like, I feel like if he hadn't used the ship, we probably wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, why did they yeah, why did they have to point it out? I guess is like why can't he just say, Oh, I need to get my ship fixed. I'm gonna go out there on a bike now. Like I don't need to I don't know. I don't know why they kind of heavy-handedly told us like, hey, he's not gonna fly his ship. Hey, he can't use his ship again. Hey, like, you know, like just let him not use it. It's the kind of thing that Pablo Hidalgo should have just answered on Twitter several weeks later, and that would have been <laughs> the end of it. Um, we also see like uh Womp Rats. Um, I it, now correct me if I'm wrong for the first time um, ever because that's what those things are. Yes, yeah, in the, I think that's what they were. Yeah, because huh. in the uh, in the artwork at the end or whatever, um, there's a picture of the child and a womp rat, and they're like 
interacting or playing or whatever. I see we like, were like, they're doing they're doing what now? Like <laughs> Yeah. I know. In the artwork it was like something that was supposed to happen. I I was reading uh some I, I don't know if it was an article or something, but how that that was yeah, that was that should be the Womp Rats. So I thought that was interesting that they're I, I guess they they mentioned them at least three times in this whole entire episode or four times. So I think I think yeah this is the first time we're actually seeing them on the screen because i always wondered i'm like what the f is a yeah this rap? definitely must like, be first at least no. live I action think it might be it might be I, the first time we're seeing them i'm i'm not a hundred percent i'm about this. to google i'm about to google an image of a womp rat like and this, <laughs> i bet you it's gonna look like that um, i think we cannot go any farther without discussing uh the sexy elephant in the room but before we do I want to point out a quick reference here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradley, did you have a note for the reference about the jetpack? Um, no, I did not. Part of the design of the jetpack. So you got you guys know how in Force Awakens, uh, the Falcon has a new radar dish uh, because it got its radar dish knocked off in uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, also in Return of the Jedi, if you remember, uh, Han solo as he spins around whacks the back of boba fett's jetpack and sends him up into the air right though jetpack on cobb vanth actually has a metal patch in place uh to repair the damage from that hit oh really i didn't notice that if you look very closely you can see exactly where han hit it and ruptured the tank and it's been like welded over Gotcha. Charles literally well, holds a microscope up to the TV screen I know. to it's, see these well, to, to see these things that we especially do not. when it's somebody he really <laughs> likes on the screen. Yeah, I, I was looking very, very, very closely right. at at certain people's backsides on screen and studying it very mm. intently. We all know that say. you fantasize about Boba Fett. Many men, <laughs> oh yeah, for whatever reason, oh, I, have. Oh, I love Boba Fett. We will we will get to how much I just love right. love Boba Fett in this. Um, we should talk about the fake out though of Boba Fett because that is very important to this. Scene. Only a fake out oh, if you have yeah. red aftermath, but yes, let's talk about the fake out people who are not me and didn't right. immediately figure oh. out what was going on. <laughs> okay, nerd. Because like, I, I would say for the general public, you know. His Boba Fett's armor is recognizable, but for some people, you know, who aren't as we'll say Star Wars educated like Charles, they we can go with uh, isolated or um, I would go with lonely, but I am not actually single, although he does put up with a lot. (laughs) Anyway, don't um, say general public because the general public will look at Mando and be like, Is that Boba Fett? You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. What are all these Boba Fett's doing? I would say. <laughs> I would say general. There's a lady Boba Fett now. <laughs> casual Star Wars fans would have looked at this and been like, "Oh, look, it's Boba Fett." And then he proceeds to sit down with his shots of Spodka, or I'm sorry, snorts of Spodka is what Spodka is Sp- what he says. Spodka. Spodka. Snorts of Spodka is what he says. Um. Instead of shots, which was weird. And then he takes off the helmet, predominantly places it next to his seat. And then that's when we get the close-up of the helmet with the dent in it. So we know it's his helmet. 
But then we're like, oh, it's Boba Fett, and no, it's just some random handsome dude. Who the hell is that? You know who that is. Well, who that is <laughs> is is some brilliant casting there. Yes, uh, Timothy Oliphant, uh, most known for funny enough, a western, uh, mm-hmm. HBO's Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the Moss Pelago sheriff in town, known as uh, I guess so he's from some I don't know I think some book called aftermath i don't know you may have mentioned it yeah well oh my god we'll get we'll get to this book that i may have mentioned once or twice yes <laughs> yeah uh, Van- no. and I, re- I remember when we heard rumors that timothy oliphant was cast in an undisclosed role in season two a lot of people myself included kind of perked up and went wait he he played the sheriff on deadwood right. he would be perfect casting for cobb Vant. <laughs> and then they actually went and did it yeah and we were like holy shit this is perfect i feel like he gets more attractive with age. like and obviously bradley you know has a thing for him because he called him sexy at least like 10 times in his little intro paragraph <laughs> like no i mean but, he's, a, like, he's I, a very handsome star wars guest star i mean i would say i mean you know i well i was gonna say he was the first Technically, he's the first on-screen guest star we've had this in the season so far because the last one, technically, he was voiced. So this is our first guest star of the season. Um, so Cobb Vanth is a you know he's pretty handsome. I mean, I'm I'm not mad about it. Like you know, because last time we had, if you remember correctly, Charles, last time we had a Tatooine episode, we also had a quote-unquote guest star who happened to be an attractive male. Um, but this one's much better than the last one. Yes, uh, who's the other attractive male? Oh, you mean the bounty the hunter? Twink. Right. The twink. The he twink. He wasn't a twink. The demon twink. Of, like, he wasn't a twink. Like, what do you think a twink is? Like, it's not him. He was dumb enough to. Let's see. He was dumb. He was annoying. <laughs> and Mando <laughs> had to spend the whole episode taking care of him. That sounds like a twink to me. Oh my god. Well, and then, he ended, then he ended up being like killed. So. Uh, right he doesn't matter anymore we're we've yeah. moved on we've, twinks are we've expendable moved on. <laughs> exactly we've disposed of this twink and we've moved on to daddy to any twinks that are listening i do not find you expendable expendable you are welcome like my home so, for a period of time so. <laughs> yes this is, this is all all performative for the sake of comedy um, right blah 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 except for bradley fuck that twink in particular <laughs> I had a note here, the bit where <laughs> Mando's like, take off the armor. I have written gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it kind of was. It was very much like, take off your clothes. I was thinking take about off your that, clothes. actually. It's kind of the second watching, time this watching happened. It again, watching it again today, I was like, he keeps telling him to take off his clothes. I'm like, it's pretty, pretty homo like right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. It definitely has the vibe of your boyfriend's had a bad day at work and he walks through the door. He's like, "Take your pants off." I heard that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been mad about it. I'm like, just take it off right there. He's Pedro like, We're gonna Pascal. do this right here. We're gonna do it right here, right in, in, in front of the kid. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> it's right in front of my salad moment, but it's in front of Baby Yoda, like so. Pedro Pascal, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, 
I would, I, I, would, I, would, I would definitely watch. Some of the some of the other podcasts that I listen to talk about uh, Din Cobb as a ship, and I gotta say, rewatching this episode, I'm I'm definitely seeing why. The thing with the crate dragon, uh, this is where I noted it. Uh, so I'll bring it up here. Uh, it comes up a few times later. I hadn't sort of realized this the first time I watched it, but yeah. in the intervening time since this came out. We have gotten a trailer for the new Dune movie. And oh, Dune so was a huge... I love Space Twinks. I do. Also, <laughs> shout out, Oscar Isaac is also in that movie. You got Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa. Oh, that's going to be such a gay... Mm-hmm. I mean, good movie. <laughs> good movie. And there's like there's a couple Star Wars actors in there because uh, <laughs> freaking... Whoever uh, is like the father, what what's the name? Yeah, Poe Dameron. Poe Dameron, um, Oscar yeah, Isaac. Yeah, yeah Poe po, po, po Dameron is, is the father. Like... But the crate dragon, the way that they do it, and I couldn't find anything necessarily confirming this, but it may be an indirect reference, the way that it bursts from the sand and has the teeth and the way it's framed kind of as just the mouth right. on the neck to start out with. Maybe a reference to the sandworms. The giant sandworms from Doom. Oh, I mean, I don't think it may be a reference. I think it is one of the many references that Star Wars pulls from Dune. Um, so I'm going to go well, with there are sandworms. reference. Well, there are sandworms in Star Wars. Like, if, right. you, if you ever, did you ever play, um, God, which was it? Um, Star Wars uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, like on um, the video games? Like many ancient years ago okay well <laughs> during 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 lockdown i ordered it on amazon and i played it on the original xbox like um so i got to relive my nostalgic childhood memories there's many of my childhood games i went and ordered on amazon and i played in my parents basement <laughs> when i had nothing to do for three months um right. but so and there's there's one mission on that where literally like there's sandworms everywhere and you have to try and rescue these settlers and gather machine parts that are scattered across the sandy dune area and there's literal sandworms that look exactly like the ones from dune like so i'm just like that's a carbon copy like so yeah. you don't need you don't need the crate dragon to make a reference there's literally <laughs> sandworms on tatooine like allegedly like that look yeah. exactly like it because hmm. I know that, and, and this was another one of my fun facts about the crate Dragon uh, that I, I learned while researching this episode, was that apparently they were described the way they appear in this episode in a reference, some, some reference book first, and then this episode came out and it adhered pretty closely to that. I'm not sure what the gap between the two of them was, but apparently this description of them versus the one we got in legends where they're these huge thing that is like, can move under the sand and pop out like this. Right. That was in some reference book or something uh, a couple of years before this season came out. Well, I feel have... bad for the little Bantha that got eaten by it. But other than that, I know he just wanted to are, drink. Banthas are useless. Also, can we talk they're about how, how much Banthas get eaten in this episode? Like how many? <laughs> they are literally for food. Eaten? They're like, like, I feel like they're so indispensable. They must be just like cows because, like, they're just clearly, like cows. They like, just make a bunch of like cow. Well, they're not like cows because they're used as methods of transportation, to which so I find incredi- incredibly, they're basically, you know, big fat horned camels. Like, 
Um, well, I'm trying to I think. So, incre- like, incredibly inefficient. So, in the original movies, they were el- actually elephants in real life. They were just dressed up elephants. So, I'm trying to think. Hey, really? <laughs> yes, they put. I am also just on now elephants. learning this for the first time. I didn't you, know. You guys that. didn't know this. Animal abuse. Oh my goodness! It was no. yes. No, they I had these they, elephants thought, in the desert. I thought they were like. I thought they were like puppets. No, like they, they were these. elephants. No wonder they look bigger in the originals because these even look skinnier. Everything looks skinnier in Mandalorian. <laughs> now I'm like, assuming the ones in this show are either puppets or CGI at times. Like I don't know. No, they're, they're, they're definitely you know. not CGI. Well, there were they were maybe at one, the, some points. Maybe well maybe maybe the, the ones that got eaten were yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, right. probably. No, that's like I mean. the ones that are they're being ridden and stuff like that. Oh no, those, a lot of the yeah, scenes, those were they, probably those just were, yeah, they were just yeah, those are puppets practical dressed up. But there's there's kind of a hilarious subversion though of this later on, where it looks like the crate dragon is going to eat the bantha and then it eats the Tuscan Raider instead. That I was right. thinking, uh, I was yeah, I was hoping we were that talk did about make that. me laugh. That yeah, did anything make me zoomed laugh out like that. I was going to say it was say. just a little poke in the eye. But during that sequence, it was probably CGI. Right, that's my point. It was just like anything that was too much action going on that was obviously like, you know. Um, Now I'm trying to find the, I'm going on Disney Plus right now because I'm trying to find the documentary. Um, Literally, there's one scene in the documentary where you see them dressing up like the elephants or or someone mentions it's an elephant like being costumed. And so that's the only thing I'm talking about. So I can't believe they did that. I'm like, I had no idea. I can't believe like, I didn't know that. Like, that's just like blatant animal abuse. And I'm like, oh God, how can I be an advocate for traditional circuses being shut down if I'm gonna that just makes me all conflicted inside. Now I'm, I'm sure upset. they probably had handlers and were probably ethically treated since studios have to well, document all sure. these things. I mean, well, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know that. I mean, can you imagine how freaked out the elephants were? Like, what the fuck are they putting on me? What is this? Like, that's poor well, you want to, okay, elephants, so you want to know, like, a, smart, too. I looked it, I just looked it up. So, a fun fact, um, there was an Asian elephant named Margie, uh, M-A-R-D-J-I, I can't say that right. Uh, she played, like, the main bantha in A New Hope. Um, and on the movements of her walking, they recorded her walking, um, were used for reference for the AT-ATs in uh, Empire Strikes Back. So That makes so much sense now. Oh, wait. Uh, and even one because... more little, little fact for you. Elephants were also used in the sound design of the film. The sound of the TIE fighters' engines were a result of mixing cars and the trumpets of elephants. So there you go. What? Elephants are very significant in all of Star Wars. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like I'm having an internal crisis right now. <laughs> We've gone way too it. long on banthas and elephants, but I'm just just had to throw that out there. Up next, Cobb Vanth and Mando hop on their speeders to head to the Dragon's Lair. Uh, on the way, Cobb reminisces about the destruction of the Death Star Two, how the town's celebrations were cut short by a power grab from the Mining Collective, and how he came across Boba Fett's armor. Okay, you just... so I have a I have a problem with the casual conversation happening on speeder bikes. <laughs> like... <laughs> no, not, it's not just casual conversation. It's full-on flashback where he's it, like, yeah, like, this is my like, life. Literally, like, this is something that you sh- this should have been a conversation on a campfire on, on a stop on the way to Mothelgo. 
like, well, I don't know the distance or whatever, but like, you know, having a casual, like, let me tell you this story casually while we're speeding <laughs> hundreds of miles an hour on a speeder bike in the middle of a desert. And I'm just like, this just seems unrealistic to me, but okay. Like, are those things loud? Like, how are you going to be They have to be. Kids? That's like a fucking <laughs> pod racer engine. Yeah, and so that's like, that's, I was like, this is kind of the most far-fetched thing for this episode, for him to just casually, like, tell the story of what happened after the Death Star exploded on, and all that, like, just on the speeder bike, on the way to Motelgo, or, or to the, the Crate Dragon, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm just like, this is, I, I'm not buying it. Like, they, they could have done this differently. So I took issue with that in my second, my first and second viewing today. Can 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 I do the thing now, Bradley, do that the, I've been waiting t- to do? Talk, do it. Okay, let's talk the about Aftermath. Let's talk about Aftermath. Oh, but before God. we do, oh God. before we do, I'll give you guys one fun fact before we do that's not about that. And then I'll explain why this sequence is such a big deal. So when the Death Star 2 explodes, there's Orabesh writing at the bottom. Do you know, Bradley, what translated it reads? Uh, yes, I do. It says, local Ewok steals someone's <laughs> milkshake from... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have no idea what it said. What did it say? It's, because we're not known. It's part of the title sequence for Return of the Jedi. Oh, it's Wait, little did Luke. It's the little did Luke. Does Luke know that the Empire is building another Death Star bigger than the other one line from the opening title crawl of Return of the Jedi, translated into Orbesh? Interesting is what's huh. ringing the bottom of the Death Star 2 exploding. I wish hmm. they would have like put something funnier. Like for the people that actually yeah. took the time to translate it, like you. Right, right, right. I wish they would have wrote, if you translated this, you are a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been funny, actually. And there has to be something down there. So, you know, it can't just say terrorist attack resulted in explosion of Death Star 2. Well, yeah. we all know that, that that would be Fox News headlines is that like terrorists <laughs> blow up the like, I don't even think they would call it the Death Star. I don't know. I don't know what they would call it. But oh, know, yeah, you're right. What would they call it? Side of the Empire. They would, they would call it the, like, the Shining the shining Globe. I don't know. Because in Infinities, uh, the comic series, we actually do find out, at least in that continu- continuity, what they called the Death Stars officially. Uh. And note I said Death Stars, plural. Right. Because in that continuity in the New Hope one, they build multiple ones. And I think they call them, like, the peace stars or something like that. It's like the peace stars or the justice stars. I think it's peace stars that they call them. Huh. Speaking of books. So this scene was somewhat contentious. We're going to dive I was going to say, this. let's get, wait, I was going to say, is there anything else we need to like Easter egg wise get into before you start on the your backstory before I get into this? Right. I was trying to say, let me see if there's anything else. Oh, <clears throat> we kind of slightly mentioned it before. Uh, Cobb speeder obviously is a pod racer engine. Uh, visually similar mm-hmm. similar to Anakin's uh, pod racer, if not the exact same fucking one because it's the exact it, same It color. looked exactly the same. <clears throat> but I just wanted to get that out of the way so we did had all the little mini Easter eggs before you get to your... Uh, does the does the Camtono of ice cream count as Aftermath? I would count that. Not as Aftermath, but I would I would count it as a reference. The Camtono is always a reference to Empire Strikes Back. 
Okay, well, Cobb steals another Camtona of ice cream, except this one has crystals in it that he uses to pay for Boba Fett's armor. Let me dive in. Let me explain real quickly to my non-book reading Clayton because he has a job and Bradley because he's a twink who doesn't know how to read. (laughs) Here's what was going on with this scene and why it was a big deal to people like me. Cobb Vance originated in the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. In that trilogy, the way the books are structured, they have the main plot, which follows a small group of people in the aftermath. There's the title for you of the Battle of Endor leading up to the Battle of Jakku. But it also has interludes that cut away to show other things that are happening around the galaxy. One of those interludes per book follows the three-part story of Cobb Vanth as he gets the armor, the Boba Fett armor, from a jealous sand crawler and becomes marshal of a town. Now the main story beats play out exactly the same. He gets the armor, he takes the armor, liberates Moss Pelgo, and he drives off people that are exploiting it. The actual way the scene plays out is radically different. So you have, it's like, this was the Caleb Doom scene in Bad Batch. This was the prototype for that. Mm. where they took something that had already happened and retold it a different but equally canon way. Right. That was somewhat contentious at the time, but it's also interesting that the after the writer of Aftermath, Chuck Windick, he also wrote the uh, Force Awakens comic adaptation. He was actually fired from Marvel Comics. And by extension, he was fired from the Star Wars license and some of his projects were canceled. So he didn't really acknowledge Aftermath that much for a little bit after that. This was a major, major thing that incorporated part of that book back in. And for fans of that book, it was a really cool thing to see. Now, Wendig did go on. He had no idea this was coming. But he did write a a few tweets and then a blog post basically saying that he's fine with it he likes it he's still a star wars fan despite what happens he has his own he has his own stuff he has to process but it was cool to see in this way so that's kind of what's going on with that the aftermath books had a very similar story in the broad strokes of it but the execution is very different that's where this comes from and that's why that's kind of a cool moment particularly this flashback sequence to see it's kind of almost an abridged version of that and i have interpreted it like he's telling the story to mando so obviously he's gonna leave some details out who's to say it didn't happen the way it did in the book and this is just the version of the story he's telling right or you can even argue that he's telling the story but the flashback that we're seeing is just the way mando is picturing it So it doesn't have to necessarily be from Cobb's point of view. This is just what Mando is imagining is happening as he's telling him the story, thus as a abridged version of the story, basically. We don't really know the exact details because we didn't read the book. (laughs) But I mean, you you would know. know if you did read the book. But my point is, he's kind of telling an abridged version. He's not necessarily telling us every single detail because that would be boring. And then, you know, he would crash his pod razor. And then I 
Yeah, and then I went into the sand crawler with another guy, and I was like, oh, you've got to get the Jawas to, uh, you got to make some trades with them, and then they'll show you the good stuff. And then they showed us the armor, and then I shot the guy over the armor. It's easier to just say, I had a Camtona of crystals, and I gave them to the Jawas for armor. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to, you want to paint yourself in the best light possible, right? So, like, he wants to kind of be like, oh, well, you know, it, it was this, oh my God, it was such a struggle getting out of that bar. I really had to get out of there. And oh, I just happened to find some money lying around on the ship and I stole it all. And then I took that money and I, you know, I went into the desert for three days and three nights and I almost passed out, but then the Jawas saved me. And then they were like, hey, do you want some really nice stuff for these crystals? And I said, no, I want that armor instead because I want someone's smelly dead corpse armor instead of, a nice <laughs> robot that you were going to give me or some of the other stuff they present. They gave like, a, they're like, you want this gun? You want this R2 unit? You want, <laughs> I want, I want something I have no experience using, but somehow right. I'm going to use it to destroy exactly. an entire platoon of mining workers. So. It's also interesting that he's wearing the same clothes in the flashback that he wears around Mando. So it would make sense that the flashback is something that Mando is literally picturing in his head. Right, right, right. I also drudge that up to, you know, everybody knows that uh, characters in TV shows only have one outfit. So you have to wear the same outfit every (laughs) single time. Otherwise, you know, you break the laws of That is true. Well, well, and the people in that village are also poor and they probably don't really have a lot of clothes. So... Anyway, that's the recap of the entire Aftermath books. I will now uh, recap the entire plot of the Padme duology that's released thus far. So (laughs) brace yourselves. Or no, I will now recap the entire 75-issue Star Wars comics run. Let's go. Up next, uh, after the story, the pair are confronted by the Tusken Raiders and decide to stay for dinner. Uh, during a brief argument, Mando uses a flamethrower to calm them down. In the morning, the raiders take the pair to see where the dragon sleeps in an abandoned Sarlacc pit. The crew come up with a plan to defeat the dragon. So here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we learn a lot of information in this mini, I'm calling it a mini scene because I try to keep all this stuff together. Um, Mando not only speaks Tuscan, he somehow speaks Tuscan puppy. Um, and is able to communicate with the goddamn dogs and then Bradley, I'm ashamed at you. They're called (laughs) Mastiffs, and we just talked about them a month ago in Bad Batch. Yeah, I know, but I like calling them Tuscan puppies because it's funnier. Damn twinks. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, we get get a lot of information uh, in a very short period of time. Right. Like one thing that I had noted was, was this really sets up the settlers versus Tuscans. Because up until this point, if you're just going by the visual media, the only other reference we've gotten to the Tuscans humanizing them is in Mando season one. Right. When he says, you know, to, to them, you're the outsider. You're the invader. Right. They're the locals. Or, Oh, yeah. No, they think they're the locals. Right. Or, or well, they they, they, they are the locals. locals. Right. So I love that they use the gaffy stick as like a toothbrush. Oh, he's Yeah, he's like cleaning the mantis <laughs> teeth. And I'm like, what? He's like hey, kicking I his mean, teeth multiple, 
multiple purposes. I mean, you know, you got to work. You got to take care of your pet camel as much as you, you know, as much as they use them. Like, I guess, you know, it's not that weird that they also brush them and bathe them and clean their teeth. I just, I just bludgeoned someone to death with this. And now I'm going to pick out the chunks <laughs> out of your teeth. Yes, like, yes. It's fine. It's fine. It's everything's fine. The Tuscans seem very utilitarian. Like their whole deal, we talked about the Banthas in an earlier mm-hmm. scene. It seems like the settlers just use them for cattle and to ride. The Tuscans seem to make as much use of them as possible. Same with the gaffy stick, same with everything that they do. It's a very, we have to use every single conceivable resource to survive the Dune Sea, which was, I was looking kind of at the camp like, I remember, I was kind of comparing it, contrasting it in my head to the Tuscan camp from Knights of the Old Republic. That's almost kind of like a compound. Like you remember, yeah. it's like you go in and it's got like the walls up. Uh-huh. Whereas this and one- turrets. Was, yep. Whereas they this stole, one- they, 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 Well, they stole mm-hmm. the turrets from the Zerka Corporation and then use them to- They have the whole camp, gates yeah. and like it's a fortress. This one, it almost seems like a mm-hmm. Mongol style camp like with the the yurts almost that you're meant to pack up and move at a moment's notice right which is yeah, well, like the, the well, well the compound that was from a different era like that was from right. hundreds of years before the point we're talking about now yes well it'll be interesting to see one thing that i like about what i promise i won't dwell on this especially since uh, for reasons that we'll get to in about two and a half months. Uh, But one thing I do like about what they're doing with the High Republic is that they've increased the difference between eras. So KOTOR is like thousands of years ago. In the old EU, KOTOR is like thousands of years ago. And it's basically all the same, just simpler. Whereas... What they're doing now is I think they're trying to get more diversity between the different eras and have technology move at a slightly faster rate. Interesting thing about the Tuscans, though, if I'm remembering my Knights of the Old Republic correctly, is that in Knights of the Old Republic, they state the Tuscans have a religious aversion to technology or advancement. So they are ingrained in their culture that they have to remain exactly the same, which is why they're basically the same between eras. Yeah, They basically mm-hmm. don't change. I would, I would be curious if the new canon is going to do the same thing with them. Hmm. Where they've just I'm surprised that they would, they would use I'm surprised they would use turrets to defend their camp then if they had such an aversion to technology like i'm sure that must have caused some consternation, consternation. yeah amongst mm. them well this so this this group of uh sand people is the last time we see them in the canon right like they're not in the new trilogy there's no tuscan Correct. raiders in the new trilogy this so, is the last time we see them. Right. So at at this point in the timeline, this is the they're still nomads or they're still nomadic as far as yes. we know. They I mean they might they might go somewhere with them. They had a a Tuscan, well, a human that was raised Tuscan ended up becoming like the big bad of the future comics in the EU. So do Who they knows? go to Tatooine in the new trilogy? Because like it, they, no. they go on. They, yes. Right. Wait. When? 
Because Jakku is at the, the very planet. end of Rise of Skywalker, they go to Tatooine and we oh, see like well, a sand crawler. Well, okay, the, okay, of... the end. Like, okay, besides that, with like, that doesn't who count. are you? I'm Ray Skywalker. I'm like, what? right, yeah, like, no, that, that doesn't count. That, no, doesn't count. that does not count. No, technically, that was on Tatooine, but we don't see any sand people there. Right, exactly. Like, they would have the like. Just, okay, no, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> not We're gonna not gonna get it. into my feelings right, on right, uh, right. on that scene, positive and negative. Mm. What um, one of these days I will dissect Rise of Skywalker in detail. Oh God, we're, we're gonna need to be that, on. We're not on that day yet. We're gonna need to be high for that. Oh my God. <laughs> um, back to the back to the Mastiffs though. Um, I did appreciate the one scene where we see the one Mastiff looking at the child and being like, I'm going to fucking eat that thing. Like (laughs) He's like licking his lips, like staring. And it looks like you can just see, I don't know if it was the animation or what it was, but it was just like the pure, like, that's a dog. Like you knew that that was a dog. You knew that dog, you knew the movements. Like you can see your own dog doing that. If you have one, you're like, I can see a dog begging or like looking at something and being like, oh, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to really eat that right now. <laughs> Baby Yoda looked at the dog. So the dog looks at Baby Yoda like, I am going to consume anything bite-sized. Right. And Baby Yoda looks at the dog and goes, I want to be that when I grow up. Right. <laughs> this is the life lesson <laughs> I'm taking from this. <laughs> oh, I love it. Baby Yoda's like, I eat frogs whole. Come at me, bitch. Like... <laughs> We have to, we cannot let this go by without addressing uh, my nemesis, my arch enemy, the bane of my existence, the flamethrower, and whether or not <laughs> oh, it's useful. Hmm. It was, I, am, you know? I am going to come down on the side of saying that it was used for a specific purpose in this interaction. The purpose was successful. I am going to say that the flamethrower was unfortunately did have a use in this <sighs> yeah. scene. I'm going to have yeah. to give it to the flamethrower yeah. this, this The bar around. is on the fucking yeah. floor. Right. All it had to do was shoot things. And we've seen it right. not even be able to do that sometimes. But you know what? It had to do one thing and it did the thing. And I have to grudgingly accept that it's it's uh it's a good choice here (laughs) to be fair he was just using it as uh like hey everybody calm down like i need to do something dramatic to stop you like it wasn't like uh i'm going to burn all of you alive or i'm trying to attack you so it was very much uh just a quick hey 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 everybody shut up (laughs) well i guess the point was to like you know intimidate everyone like in submission like just a flashy show of force, which pretty much that's all a frame flamethrower is. It's like, just flashy. It's, <laughs> right. That's it's just, all it it's, does. It's, it's it's flashy and it's cool. It looks cool, or it can be intimidating if you're really close to it. But otherwise, it's pretty much useless in a fight. Like so. And like, we've established yeah, at length how useless it is. I I have been. I think at least every other time I've been on here, we have talked about how useless the flamethrower is. Like mm-hmm. so, for sure. I'm glad that that's there's an agreement on that. But yeah, it served its purpose in terms of like you know showing magic fire to the Tusken Raiders. Like, oh, I better shut up. <laughs> blah blah blah. This man can cast fire. 
Like, so like mission accomplished to get everyone to shut up. Although that whole conflict, like with, you know, the, the sheriff and the Tuscans because they didn't want to drink the little shitty tea or whatever, like was just kind of petty. So I have a funny story real quick. Um, okay. So this actually reminds me of my friend um, <clears throat> and my roommate. So he is from Brazil originally. Um, and Ooh, okay. his mom um, is, I'm, I'm comparing her to the Tuscan Raiders right now because this is what she does when you go to her house. Okay, so she makes a, a very particular tea when you go to her house. As guest, she will make this tea when guests come over. And it is a very different, I'll say different tea. Um, it is a cultural tea. So it's a very like specific taste and recipe and everything. And for some people who are not, you know, native to the place that she's from may not like the tea um but when she offers it to you you have to drink it it is a sign of like respect like you're a guest in her home you drink her tea and even if you don't like it you still drink it and you go like thank you you know that was great you know and so i compare that to this because it was kind of like the same situation like he was very offended when Cobb didn't want to drink his smelly tea (laughs) so yeah, it's, it's, it's the exact same thing especially exactly. considering how you know valuable liquid is to them yes given that the settlers are oh, taking yeah. all their water for Cobb then to say oh like not only am i taking all of the good water but i'm too good to drink your not as good your coconut liquid. milk or whatever it is <laughs> well it's like a fruit thing that they like bust open and and he's yeah. supposed to drink the mm-hmm. juices inside it and he's like yeah no no thanks no and they're like stop being an awful white person and learn how to be respectful <laughs> oh my God. of other cultures you fucking that like, asshole that like that was prime white privilege Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, he, he ultimately does drink the tea later on, and clearly he does not have a problem with it. Right. Later on, when he drinks it, I have I have two more notes for this uh, this story chunk. For some reason, the line "it's to scale" made me bust out laughing. <laughs> oh, he's talking about the model of the dragon. He's talking about the model. He's like the whole sequence where they're like. It's not yeah. to scale. And then he asked the Tuscans, it, it's, like, it's, it's to, to scale. scale. <laughs> it's, like, trust us, it's this big. So the, the crate dragon is hiding in an abandoned Sarlacc cave. Correct. And Cobb Vanth is like, uh, Sarlacc pits aren't abandoned. And Mando's like, they are if you eat the <laughs> Sarlacc. <laughs> the implication being that the pit is no longer occupied because the crate dragon ate it. I would like to present an alternate theory. Ooh, what's your alternate oh, theory? Interesting. That that structure that the, the crate dragon is in is not just a Sarlacc pit, it is the Sarlacc pit. And the Sarlacc is not there because it is dead because Boba Fett blew his way out of it. Wait, wait, oh, oh, you when you say the Sarlacc, you mean like the same one from? I mean the same one, the Sarlacc, the Sarlacc from, from, Return from Return of the Jedi. Of the Jedi. 
and Boba Fett killed it by blasting his way out because that's a stupid fucking thing that we have to have in the new canon. Okay, but Whatever, if that's we'll true, that. if that's true, and the crate like, dragon where just did moved it, in. Where did the meat go? Like, where did the the crate dragon ate it? So he still ate it. It doesn't matter how he ate it. He, he ate, still it, ate it, but it was already dead. Okay, but the implication is that he didn't actually kill it. He just right. ate the left, ate the it's, leftovers. It's, it's the Sarlacc from Return of the Jedi. Got it. Got it. That's the same Sarlacc pit. That's my theory. Yeah, because I'm looking at a Sarlacc now, like what it visually looks like underneath the sand. And first of all, gross. Second of all, um, I see why Boba Fett was able to survive because this thing is like designed so poorly for digestion. Like, I mean. Mm. It's got way too many hearts, too many lungs. Like it takes a thousand well, years it, to does, pass does, a kidney stone. I was about to say, doesn't it take like hundreds <laughs> of years to digest you? I like, guess so. Isn't like like and your you death? Stay is, alive. Your death is so your death is so agonizing. Like that's what's so terrible about it. Like, <laughs> right. Up next, the pair head back to town to convince the local folks to work with the sand people they arrive in town and load up the bantha ubers with all the bombs needed to blow up the dragon and (laughs) head to the lair to set up the bombs um i didn't really have much for this little section because it was just very like we don't want to work with the sand people we don't want to work with the town people like it was very much like you know there wasn't really much there but it was (laughs) It, they they are alarmingly amenable to this. Like they don't really yeah. push back that hard against it. Well, I yeah. guess they're smart enough to realize that you know there's a fucking dragon <laughs> that will kill us at any moment, like if it feels like it. So I mean, I guess they're a smarter population than you know the general public of where we occupy and live our lives right now. Um, because I'm fairly confident that if you presented my hometown with this situation, there would be like fake news. There is no crate dragon. <laughs> the crate dragon runs through the town the day before and the next day. It's like, no, uh, Newsmax told me there was no dragon. So Fox News, Fox News said the dragon Fox is harmless. News said there was no dragon. Uh, they said the dragon is nothing to worry about at all been annoyed like if they were more resistant than they were in the episode i felt like it was appropriate like you know because like, like they really didn't want to take away from the focus which was like there's we need to kill this crate dragon and he wants to get the armor back like so i feel like it was appropriate like i i guess like if they had spent more time trying to negotiate like working between the villagers and the same people i feel like it would have been more of a distraction like so i'm not bothered by how amenable they were like i was just more or less like oh okay like you know they're really on board with this like so i, agree. I guess it was well it was, it was welcome to see it i agree wholeheartedly i i think they struck overall in the in the episode of really good balance of saying you know it's there and the tension is going to help add spice to the scene but the episode is not about that Right. The episode is about killing the great dragon. There's with that case. There's there's two things I want to bring up. So Cobb Vanth uh, mentions that the Mandalorian Creed says that uh, Mando can have the armor back, 
I was sort of curious, so I, I went to check uh, whether or not we definitively know what's in that Mandalorian Creed, and Wikipedia didn't really have a good answer for me. It just said the Mandalorian Creed is the rules by which they live. It, well, because the Creed is different than, like, how, like, Mandalore, like, the actual planet kind of governed themselves. Like, so the Creed was a very, it's a very purist, like point of view like modern mandalore that we know from like the clone wars and the mandalorian creed like it's i I think it's very divided in in that context that's an interesting point that the mandalorian creed might be like a a set of texts and then you have people like satine who are like well we're going to take the broad overarching right interpretation of it and then you have uh you have people like the children of the watch uh, who Mm. are looking at it going, you have to follow every single rule in this to the letter. Right. And if you break any of this, you're screwed. Like the Mandalorian creed is more purist, like, and very hard line unyielding um, in in terms of what they believe and what you have to live by. Our guess our guest for episode three, when we first learn what the children of the watch are, I'm very excited for her to come on uh, because that's something we're going to talk about that episode. Uh, the way that the actual cult, the children of the watch seems to be structured hmm. and how it's, it's designed within the context of the larger world. Right. So that's that's something to keep an eye on going forward is that's going to come up later this season. It exactly like what the children of the watch is in relation to how other Mandos like Mando's thing, you know, earlier in the episode is the thing that really set him off was when Cap Cobb Vance took his helmet off. Uh-huh. Right. Because up until that point, he thought it was a that was a thing. Yeah. All we'd seen in Mandalorians in the show if you're just watching this show, you know that Mandalorians don't do that. And we won't learn until episode three that, no, that's actually not 100% there. The other no. thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, Din mentions that the Tuscans have been on the Dune Sea for thousands of years. It's not a direct reference, but I want to take the excuse to talk about Knights of the Republic again anyway. Mm-hmm. Because in that game, where they established the lore for the Tuscans, they established that the Tuscans are one of the oldest human people in the galaxy. Again, this is all legends, it's all KOTOR, but it's still really cool stuff. That they were taken by the Infinite Empire to serve as slaves. Eventually they rebelled, a war broke out, and the planet was glassed by the Infinite Empire. That it was once a lush planet, it was glassed. Glass chips away over time and becomes sand. And that's how Tatooine became a desert planet. And the modern Tuscans, at least at the time of Knights of the Republic, were descended from the people who survived that cataclysm. That was their original backstory in Knights of the Old Republic. Probably not the same in canon, but we're doing a Knights of the Old Republic heavy episode. I wanted to bring up that that was the backstory there gotcha just piggybacking off what he said about them having lived there for thousands of years no i'm glad you brought that up because yeah no not everyone knows i love kotor so 
always have to bring up those references. I probably wouldn't have made like I probably wouldn't have made a note to talk about this if Clayton wasn't on the show today. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Kotor, uh, let's talk about their plan. Okay. Their initial plan to kill the crate Wait, dragon. I was gonna say this is where I thought of you. I wrote I didn't write this down, but I was like, what are Charles's rules for talking about a plan and showing us the plan on screen versus not showing us the plan and then if it goes right or if it goes wrong. Now, did this follow the rules of Charles's show us or tell us the plan? So for a, a refresher and for Clayton, who may not know, uh, in our episode uh, reviewing uh, Rescue on Ryloth, I said that one trick that you can use to ruin a movie for yourself forever is that if the film or show shows you the group executing the plan in tandem with the voiceover. So they voice over and they show you them doing it. The plan is going to go off without a hitch. If they tell you the plan ahead of time and then start executing it, something is going to go wrong. In this one, it's interesting because they show them setting up for the plan and then they start it and that's the point where things start to go wrong. But like now I will highlight that the exact plan that they highlighted um, in this episode is the exact mechanism you use um, to kill the crate dragon in mm-hmm. KOTOR. Like, mm-hmm. So they literally lay, well, because you, you have options because it's always light side and dark side option. I forgot what the light side, light side option was for KOTOR because I always went with the dark side option because I just, I'm, I'm evil and I just, I yes. chose the easy way out for everything. So I forgot the light side, light side option, like for the the um, the crate dragon uh, scenario. But the dark side option was that you lured it out of the cave and then it walked over a bunch of uh, deadly deadly frag mines and it, it would die. Like so, the fact that it was so easy to kill in Kotor and so difficult to kill in this episode just is creating a lot of internal conflict like with myself because I killed that freaking crate dragon so many times with landmines <laughs> and to see it just be so impossible to kill in this episode and I'm like what the f like <laughs> I'm imagining if they were able to recanonize if they actually did recanonize Kotor in some fashion the idea of Revan and like three other people doing this and pulling this off when it takes like 40 sand people and oh my God, yeah. villagers and two Mandalorians. Impossible. Like, amazing. No, it, it, the original, the original plan before it goes off the rails is at exact, it's like Clayton said, it's, it's literally the plan from KOTOR. It's literally how you kill the crate dragon in KOTOR. You lure it out over, grenades and blow it up just a more involved version of it here there's a lot of kotor references in this season well i mean we're only one episode in so we're only yes. one episode in and we're not even <laughs> my favorite one my favorite one's not even in this episode i had a question so they're putting the bombs in the ground the the charges the mining charges that they're actually using 
And then Joe arms the detonator and hands it to Cobb while they're still digging the mines and putting them in. And I'm like, did you maybe want to wait to activate to prime that? <laughs> nah. Like, nah. Do you maybe not want to take do you maybe not want to take the safety off until you're ready to go? Like, what's going on here, folks? Right. Uh, the group wakes up the crate dragon and it attacks. Uh, after some acid spitting and blowing up some bombs, Mando is able to take out the dragon by tricking it into eating a bunch of bombs strapped to a mantha, and it blows it up from the inside. After the crate dragon is defeated, the Tusken Raiders dissect the carcass and cut out a giant pearl. We're at two. Our dank ferret count is finally moved. Wait, was it, is that two? The note is here for some reason. Well, oh, so when the thing comes out, he's like, Dank Ferrick. Yeah, something. and I have it. I have it written as one. I didn't have two. Is we he said again? We had one in season one, in episode one, oh, and it never oh, moved oh, oh. the entire first season. Gotcha. Okay. See, I was going to bring it back up, and I was like, oh, our dank I was going to reset our Dank Ferrick count. But now it's, okay, I guess we can keep the first one, because it's the only other we're, time We're keeping the first one, because it's the only one. Whole series, our Dank Ferrick count is at two. Wow. I want to talk about the the dragon a little bit because okay, Ooh, I feel so like I. I feel like they play a little fast and loose with the dragon's ability to travel underground. Like I'm very confused at a I few things that happen. Such, I have I have such issues. Like it was through rock at one point. Yeah, that's like why it I, pops I don't out of the top of the thing. So that's why I'm confused because. Uh, okay, so he not only does it come out, okay, so there's the cave, comes out of the cave, then it also goes back into the cave, goes underground, then goes, appears at the top of the mountain, goes back into the mountain, and then appears behind them in a sand dune. Like, I don't understand how, where's the tunnels? Like, where's the, the creature coming from? It's all sand, it's, is it not? It's not- well, it's, it's it's not the tunnels like it's like it, they've given it the ability to be able to basically like manipulate the sand and the texture around it to be able to travel freely throughout the sand dunes and the entire planet basically so it can essentially manipulate or melt like i, I guess not melt but like they don't say melt because then it'll turn to glass. So that doesn't make any sense. So. Right. So then, yeah, <laughs> That's don't, don't melt, don't melt with, yeah, I'm not going to say melt the sand. So, but it can manipulate the Liquify. sand around it. Liqui- it, it. It liquefies everything around it so it can travel freely, like throughout, like whatever on the desert planet. But that is not the case in KOTOR. So I'm like, why the fuck was this thing so easy to kill in KOTOR? And then you give it the, the ability to liquefy sand, shoot acid out of its freaking mouth, like, and be enormous. Like, I have be the note. Three, t- three times the size, like, of the one that you battle in KOTOR. And I'm like... I actually I'm, I'm have just... a note here uh, that the, the crate Dragon reminds me of every circuit queen I've had to go to brunch with that's still hung over uh, because they're loud and they're exhausted from being woken up and they are also regularly spewing vile. Oh, well. Oh, that could be how it works. Oh, okay, wait, theory time. Okay, okay so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go with the fact that it can crawl in the sand or whatever, like whatever. It's a fucking worm snake thing. I don't care. That's fine with me. 
the mountain part, I'm thinking it makes tunnels in the mountain, in the bedrock of the planet by using its acid spit thing to create a hole to like go through. If that makes sense. Hmm. Well, we know that that particular, like the big cave is, is from the Sarlacc. Right. That dug it out, but that it would have to go real. That thing with that acid would have to burn through the thing real fast for it to get all the way at the top of the. I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to come up with an excuse that makes sense. Like, you're a real Star Wars podcaster now. You're trying to right. rationalize these things that make no <laughs> fucking sense. Let's talk in circles to make sense exactly. of what's happening in front of us. Eventually, it will make sense. <laughs> I love the bit where they jetpack up. Speaking yes. of it bursting through the top, I love the bit where they jetpack up and they just leave baby Yoda there. And he's just there like, I am just, also like, in this episode. Yeah, you know what's funny is he had his moments in the episode, but he really wasn't present as much as he could have been. I think it was weird because no, when Peli Moda was introduced in the beginning of the episode, I thought, okay. This is another episode where we're going to drop baby Yoda off for babysitting daycare. And then, you know, daddy Mando is going to go do the storyline and then come back later. That wasn't the case because he clearly has the child with him all the time in the whole entire episode. And I'm wondering like, what was the purpose of bringing the child along at all? If anything, it's more dangerous. Like, the only thing that the child does in in the context of this episode storyline is the fact that Mando has the child with him is the reason that Cobb Vance doesn't shoot him immediately. Right. That's it. Otherwise, he's he's just kind of here. Right, because he's like, I misjudged you. I thought you were like some, you know, rough and tough kind of guy, but you have a fucking kid with you. So obviously you're not that bad. Like. So we need to talk about something. I want to make a definitive statement or a a definitive view of this thing because we talked about this in the finale of season one. You're fucking wrong, but uh, sure, go ahead. No, it's it has to do with the jetpack. So my issue with the first season was that when he got the jetpack, they said to him, you got to learn how to use it. The jetpack's not going to obey you unless you know you practice with it or whatever the fuck the, they said about it. And then in the finale, he literally grabs the child and then just jetpacks away. And it's like this beautiful moment of like, he's flying through the air. In this scene, we have not only Mando perfectly using the jetpack to fly to the top of a fucking mountain. We also have Cobb Vanth, a non-Mandalorian, perfectly use the jetpack to get to the top of a mountain so i'm wondering how hard is it to fly a goddamn jetpack in this series i mean obi-wan kenobi also used a jetpack successfully so they but he's clearly not as hard to use he visibly struggled though like he literally was like i don't know how to do this thing and literally flying all over hell's half acre before he finally kind of like stabilize himself to be able to use the jetpack to in like you know an adapt level like so the fact that like mando and caveant could use the jetpack so easily without any difficulty whatsoever with minimal training is you know subject to scrutiny well if you look at the way that 
they do it in this episode. Cobb is clearly less fluid and less in yes. practice, but he does successfully use the jetpack. Like clearly he has right. done some drills with it himself. Right. But he's not as smooth with it as Mando is. So I guess my point of all of this is to say, I am going to definitively at this point in time, accept the fact that Mando knows how to use the jetpack and that's it. Like, I'm not going to bring it up ever again. It's just, he knows how to use it because he's a fucking Mandalorian and that's it. He just knows how to use it. The no force told him how to do it. Exactly. The, the force. The force decided it. The force in this case being a euphemism for the writers. The writers oh decided God. it. Uh, so I have a couple of reference notes, but before I do that, I would be remiss to bring up uh, the sequence where Baby Yoda reaches out for the chunk of crate Dragon meat. Like, can I eat this? <laughs> oh, God. Can uh, I fit this? Fit this whole thing in my mouth. Right. I want to eat now. This is like, It darkness. looks like, I'm like, that's probably the rarest like steak you could or uh, steak meat you could ever get is crate dragon meat. Right? Like, crate dragon, crate dragon steak. Like that just sounds good. Okay, and wait. So no, like the crate dragon pearl. Like, can we talk about that for a second? Yes. Like, so the crate dragon pearl, big old Kotor reference because you get one after you kill the crate dragon, and you have three choices with it. You can give it to the Tuscans to prove that you're a warrior. You can just sell it for money or you can use it in your lightsaber. Which I'm like dumbfounded because I'm just like, that is way too fucking big like to use as a lightsaber crystal. I'm like, how the hell? Wait, what does it do to your lightsaber? So the one one in KOTOR is much smaller. So in canon, they're these giant pearls, but in Legends, I think they were much smaller. Okay. And you could use it to augment your lightsaber. To do so what? That was... yeah, it, made, it made your lightsaber more powerful. Like, mm-hmm. I used it in mine. Pretty much all of my adaptations of Revan, like, I used um, the Kray Dragon Pearl because it added, I think, five, like, points of damage, like, to my lightsaber. Which was a like, lot uh, in o- overall, for which, okay. which was Which was a lot. Like it was uh, just overall damage. It was I like because it had a range, it had a range of damage between like sixteen and thirty-two or something like that. Because I always use the double bladed, like so it added five points on both ends. Like so, it just guaranteed five more points Got of damage, it. which which was a lot. So I always had the crate dragon pearl as an augmentation to my lightsaber because it gotcha. was just probably one of the most powerful upgrades, except for like um. A sigil stone or one of the other stones that I used in my lightsabers. Anyway, like the, the canon great dragon pearls, like gigantic. You no way you could use them in the lightsaber crystal. Right. So I am I am good. So it would be if you a very big it up, lightsaber. Like, you well if you smashed it, I don't know if you smash the great dragon pearl like into pieces and still use it. Like I don't know. That's a good like, although. Like, I guess if they were going to do that, though, in canon, uh, then they would just say that it makes your lightsaber like pink or something like it's not going to it's going to make it a different color. It's not going to make it do anything else. Or you like... could <laughs> or you could build your hilt out of it. You there could you carve go. the hilt out of there the pearl. That would be a fun Ooh, lightsaber. That'd be a really hilt. pretty. That'd be a pretty hill. Like, if someone carved it out of like a crate dragon pearl. And that's yeah. what the, the handle was made out of. 
Uh, Buryaga, a Wookiee Jedi from a, a series of books who will go unnamed. Actually, his lightsaber <laughs> is made out of uh, a carving from a Vrashu tree. Gotcha. That his actual lightsaber is made out of that. So there's precedent for making lightsabers out of things other than metal. Right. Oh, no, yeah. I'm Well, in Clone Wars, like, you know, that there's a uh, a youngling Jedi that has his lightsaber hilt made out of um, bark from some other kind of tree. I think it was also a Wookiee Jedi. As metal. Yeah. He, he was. No, he, he was a, he was a Wookiee, yeah. It was a, so a washer tree, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. Like, so the droid that oversaw the creating of lightsabers described it as such, and I think it's probably the same exact wood, so... Two other references in this scene. Uh, remember we talked about Han whacking Boba Fett with the jetpack yes, to make it fly up? One of the uh, only references that I really got in this scene. Den does the same thing to Cobb where he whacks the back of the jetpack to intentionally Literally. force him up and away. Right. Uh, the second reference is the actual death of the crate Dragon uh, where the crate Dragon swallows the explosives and blows him up from the inside. This is a reference to uh, a longtime George Lucas collaborator named Steven Spielberg had this small mm. film called Jaws, uh, which mm. was about a killer shark. I'm sure most people have never heard of this movie. No, never uh, heard of it. But no, in this never. movie, that is how they ultimately kill the shark, is by blowing it up from the inside. So right. this is how... That's fun. Din ultimately kills. So they managed to do it in such a way so that they had a reference to Kotor and they had a reference to Jaws in how they take down the crate dragon. Oh, like that. Kind of cool. After taking a chunk of dragon meat uh, back home to for dinner, <laughs> um, Cobb gives back the armor to Mando and he heads back to his ship. Watching him from afar, a mysterious figure turns around to reveal none other than the true Boba Fett alive and rough looking on Tatooine (sighs) (laughs) okay okay so let's talk about it uh, so Boba Fett comes back in Legends and even as a kid teenager during the time when this was a thing this never sat right with me because what are you gonna do with him yeah like he came back i was opposed to this for a couple of reasons i didn't think he was that interesting of a character i thought his character arc had kind of ended in return of the jedi they brought him back he goes on to become like mandalore and doesn't do a whole hell of like he goes back to bounty hunting immediately he bounty hunts for a bit and then he goes and bees mandalore And at one point, he trains Han's daughter how to kill Han's son. So Boba? Boba Fett trains... When does Boba become Mandalore? Like, he becomes... Yeah, because I think he becomes Mandalore at one point. When? When does he have time to become Mandalore? (laughs) He, like, settles down with the other Mandalorians and becomes Mandalore. What? Wait. In Legends? Or, like... Mm -hmm. where? What? When he gets up there in years, he's, 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 like he's getting older. Like he has a granddaughter at this point. All right. Okay. Legends doesn't point, count. Let's move this on. This is all true. <laughs> For context, I saw, I had this storyline 
And a lot of people love this because they love Boa Fett. Right. I didn't because I thought it was dumb and kept recycling this character. So when they revealed he survived, I was like, I don't see this going away that's going to be interesting. My thought at the time was the only way that this would be interesting for me is if they presented Boba as an antagonistic foil to Din. If they presented him as a mercenary, a real mercenary that is not following the creed, but is still running around in the the Mandalorian armor and is an antagonist, then that would be an interesting direction to go, even if he goes back to bounty hunting and keeps doing exactly the same thing. That didn't happen, and we'll get into it. But at the time, I was like, that is the only way that they could do this, that I would be like, this is not incredibly dumb. And you're just bringing back nostalgia characters that we know for clout. Little did I know right. <laughs> that uh, that was going to be a thing. Well, I was going to say, I have a couple reactions to this because one, back from season one, we thought or it was rumored or people weren't sure that if they were going to continue this little storyline of Fennec Shand is on the ground basically dead and then a mysterious figure walks up with spurs on his boots and comes up to the body and they never really connected that for us yet um and so we were confused because I, I I would have thought that in this scene we would have had the spurs playing like when boba fett walks away which it does not so i'm i'm curious as to like is that just a he only has the spurs when he has his armor he only has it you know what i mean like it's like so like i don't know yeah like it seems like he still has the boots (laughs) to the armor and Cobb just has the like armor armor portion of it like he seems like he only has the upper body not the lower half yeah i am just i was unfortunately super saturated in all of the star wars all of the time Mm -hmm. so for me when boba came back i could only think of all of the other things they did with boba after return of the jedi in legends gotcha that was colored clayton what what was your impression both kind of when you first saw this and then kind of once you figured out where they were going with it. Yeah. So when I saw Boba, when I saw when I, cause I didn't realize it was Boba initially, like when I first saw the episode and then like, I went back and I watched it again and I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's, that's Boba. Like it's, it's, it's the actor that played Django and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm like, Oh shit. Like, cause I had, I, I didn't put that together initially. I'm like, who the hell is this deformed looking dude? Like, um, so I didn't, I didn't put it together initially that that was Boba Fett. And then, you know, went back and watched it and paid more attention. And then I was like, of course, like, that's Boba. Like, so he must have blown his way out of the Sarlacc pit and the stomach. And now he looks all mangled and deformed. And I'm like, of course they want to bring back Boba because I, I just, people had this obsession with Boba Fett, which I really just don't understand like I, I don't know I get it like he looked cool like because he was the kind of first exposure to 
Mandalorian armor, Mandalorian anything, like in the entire saga. Like back in the eighties when they when the Return of the Jedi even like premiered. Like he's a well, cool character. Empire. People it was Empire like, he first oh, showed oh, up. Okay, uh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, I'm I stand corrected. Empire Strikes Back when uh, Darth Vader is recruiting bounty hunters to hunt down the Millennium Falcon. So yeah, I stand corrected. So Empire Strikes Back is when you first see someone like him at all, like in right. film. Like so, he well, was a very cool character for people to see. So I don't know. I just I don't I don't understand. I I can understand the uh, the obsession. I just I don't really get it. Right. Well, I think the problem is. The the what people are the obsession with Boba Fett is not from the actual character himself. It stems from the toys, uh, the Kenner toys, mm-hmm. because originally he was the first toy that was sla- announced slash released or whatever before Empire came, even came out, and so people were obsessed with this toy. And they were like, oh, you know, this is new Star Wars we're getting, basically. It was the first new Star Wars that people got ever since the movie ended. So, and because there was the whole controversy with the whole, it has a rocket that launches out of its back. And it's like this interactive toy when in actuality they couldn't do that because of lots of reasons, but mostly because of choking hazard. So Uh there's like a whole history of this fucking Boba Fett toy. And I think that's part of it is part of the obsession with him was this manic, like need for this toy before the movie even came out. It's also worth noting that he first premiered. I'm wrong. I have to correct myself because me correcting Clayton. I was also wrong that uh, he actually premiered in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes. In the animated section. So he was our first glimpse of what Empire Strikes Back was going to look like because he was in the cartoon section, The Story of the Faithful Wookiee, which you can actually watch on Disney+, Plus. just that cartoon. I did not know that. You can actually go on and watch that. That's Boba Fett's first appearance. It was a little animated Thing that played in the middle of the holiday special so you can actually uh go and watch that yeah it would be super weird uh if there was a character in a trilogy that only appeared in two movies had cool armor basically didn't do anything and then died it would be but they kept using in merchandising right because it was super weird or it was super like weird how much they keep using it because it was super easy to manufacture right rather like that would be super weird bradley (laughs) bradley wouldn't that be weird if somebody did that i don't think it'd be weird at all i i think it'd be weird don't you no i don't Mm -hmm. Maybe constantly advocating for that character's return who, let's be fair, we didn't actually see die. If you don't see a body or you don't see them die, no one's ever really gone. So that's my philosophy on Star Wars moving forward is no one's ever really gone unless we see the body. So therefore, I mean, hey, it worked out for Darth Maul. We, you know, we We literally saw his body. 
True, but we didn't see him not start breathing anymore. Like, we didn't see him stop breathing. So, theoretically, you know, that... see his lifeless body. Right, exactly. So, anybody who we don't see the body moving forward, I don't believe that they're ever really gone. So, Mm -hmm. in that sense, you know, Captain Phasma probably coming back. Um, Well, that's exactly the strategy that um, (laughs) they used to divert attention away from Skywalker coming back. I bet you anything we'll see like a Mace Windu show coming up soon. Like, because he, we didn't see a body. We didn't see a body. I keep keep hearing that. He's coming back. Oh God, you're going to, you're going to keep advocating for this Phasma show until they give it to you. (laughs) The book is right there, Bradley. It's really good. Well, like what you said. I was actually really excited. Like when they actually teased like Plo Koon was going to come back. Like, and then I learned that they just used him as a diversion to distract yeah. them for the fact that they were going to, they were going to bring back Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And I remember me and Charles were talking about this, like during the middle of the first season, we're like, they're really, there's no way they're going to actually bring Luke into this. Like, there's no way, like there's it's going to be someone chance. else. Like there's zero chance. Like, and they did, they actively intentionally deceived us and created fake like shoots and and pictures with Paul Coon in their scenes, like to throw us throw everyone off. Like and like, oh, it's gonna be Paul Coon. Like, no, he actually survived like Order 66. Like he didn't die. Like because Dave fucking would. Because it's that's Dave's favorite Jedi. Obviously, Dave would I be love like Yeah, he survived the um the thing, the the ship explosion uh, somehow. Right. Yeah, we, we literally saw him die. No, but what I was, what you were saying earlier was that, you know, with this adaptation of the Aftermath novel, you know, I don't see why they couldn't do similar things in the future with any of this canon Star Wars books. Whereas, you know, yes, this thing happened a certain way in the book, but we can take the story beats from the book and then just present them in a different way on screen. I don't see why they couldn't do that. We'll remember this conversation in 2022 when Andor comes out. We'll have to see <laughs> right. see some of the things from the... Am I the only one not that excited for it? I'm like, oh. Possibly. I mean... I, I don't... I didn't if, like... You're right. No, you're right. Because like, if K2SO is not know. in it, then it's not worth shit. He's not in the first season. Well, then it's not it. worth shit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I did not think that Cassian deserved his own series. Like, that's just my own opinion, like, from watching the movie. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, we're like, getting way off track because we need, <laughs> we, back we need to get back on track. <laughs> okay, back on track. Um, we need to somehow <laughs> rerail this train. I was going to say, do you guys have anything else uh, for this episode? Clayton, do you have anything else for the season in general since we're not going to talk about anything moving forward, but you can talk about anything else that you are you were excited for since you're not coming back for the rest of the season. So what was something about this season that you just absolutely love? Also, Bradley, who directed it and who wrote it? Oh, uh, directed by John Favreau, written by John Favreau. So not really that shocking there we go. Um, that any of that happened. But um, I guess the favorite thing about the season was the focus on, I guess, the dark saber, like, and the history behind that. Again, they get more into it later in the season. Um, 
but the history and the significance of that and how that plays in um, and just the I, they integrate a lot more of Mandalorian history into this and it gets more closer to like the Mandalorians that I knew like growing up playing the KOTOR games like so I just I like that they're diving more into it and getting more into that history so I'm I'm I, I really liked the second season so it was it was very entertaining for me cool well do you have anything you want to plug personally uh, before we go uh, I guess the only things I can plug is if you're in Atlanta, I'll be at Future Atlanta on Tuesdays for the next, you know, six weeks or so for Dragnificent. Uh, I have to be a responsible former winner and go and support the competition. Um, you know, it's like it's like five dollars to get in once you get in there. You know, the drinks are great. Um, please great be responsible space. do yes, your covid precautions yes please you know get please get vaccinated like you know um there are a lot of venues that are going to be doing that um coming up in the city so you know i'm not gonna you know for, no one's gonna force it on you but i highly encourage it um otherwise you know a lot of people wear masks at these venues um they're not required because we live in georgia and you know the south etc but, you know, vaccination, right. I always think is the best course of action. Um, but yeah, come see me on Tuesdays at nine, uh, nine o'clock at Future Atlanta. I'll be there for the next uh, few Tuesdays. Awesome. Well, Clayton, thank you so much for joining us again, uh, being our inaugural guest for season two of Mando, the same way you are inaugural guest for season one. So I'm glad you're able to come hang out and talk some KOTOR with us. Um, we're at we're at an extended period of time. So I'm just going to say yeah. once again, Clayton, thank you for coming right. and hanging out with us. Run the socials now. <laughs> thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. Point, point being, Fox News would totally would have been the propagandist to be like, this thing, that's great. Terrorists blew it up. Okay. Yep. They blew up our totally peaceful uh, mobile platform that happened to have a giant super laser on it. Yeah, they would have been. They would have been like, Alder- "Alderaan had it coming, right?" <laughs> yes. Now here's Space Tucker Carlson to explain to you why Alderaan had it coming.